Blog Talk Radio. appealed to heaven. What did heaven do? Heaven heard. Heaven heard. Our fathers said they would treat all men equal. When they did not, heaven saw. Heaven saw. Our fathers fought each other and paid a great price. Father Abe kept the union, but not the republic. We forgot the republic and placed our trust in man and suffer oppression. We appeal to heaven. What did heaven do? Heaven heard. Heaven heard. God save the Republic. This is not my platform, but this is Joseph's program, 
and uh, the program is a program where Joseph has an open mic. Most of uh, his programs usually Tuesday nights, and he uh, has some interesting guests on here from all over the world. But this evening, the Lord's opened the door for me, and uh, uh, Joseph and I were talking, and he said, you know, uh, he says a lot of injustice going on in the world right now. And I told him, that's funny you should say that, because there are people all around the country who call me, and they say, look at this. Look at the people in the world and what's going on. And look at how we, we Christians are marginalized. And tonight I want to I wanna bring you a message from God's word called the appearance of injustice. Because truly, I want to help you. I want to help you strengthen your Christian walk tonight. I want you to leave here tonight understanding who's in control and why. And that you're not the first person to ask this question. You're not the first person to look around you in a Christian life that you live and walk and sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ on a daily basis. And tonight, I'm going to bring to you the message the Holy Spirit has given me. So let's have a prayer. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I bow down before you, God, and this listening audience. We're separated, Lord, by miles, but Lord, you brought us together this evening. Nobody's here by accident. And I thank you, Father God, and I ask you, Lord, that you set me aside now and you chase every foul and unclean spirit away and that would hinder this message. And may your son, Jesus Christ, be glorified and may the people be edified. And when we're done, we can say we met with God tonight. Amen. Tonight, I want you to uh, bring uh, uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, I want you to uh, open your Bibles, if you have a Bible. And uh, usually when you come to listen to a sermon or go to church or a Bible study, you should have a Bible. And uh, there's two places I'd like you to go. The first is to open your Bibles to the New Testament, Romans chapter 15. And then in your other hand, get Psalm 73. And that's a psalm by the psalmist Asaph. And Asaph, you're going to find, felt like you and I. But we'll get to that. But the one thing I want you to understand is in Romans 15, and I'll give you a moment to get there, and we're going to read from verse number 4, Romans 15, verse number 4. And uh, I thank God that he's given us his word. His word is true, and it has much encouragement in it. And that's why Romans 15, verse number 4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. That Old Testament wasn't just written for history. It was written to give you and I comfort. It was written to teach you and I some things. It was written by, you know, uh, the Lord for a purpose. And now if you'll go to Psalm 73, I'd like to read through Psalm 73 before I come into the introduction to this message. Psalm 73 says, truly, God is good to Israel. Notice he says, even to such as are of a clean heart. See, not just Israel, but but he's good to those of a clean heart. But as for me, verse 2, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasses them about as a chain. Violence cover them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. 
They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly. Concerning oppression, they speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of the full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain. And what? And something that's in vain means, you know, vanity, useless. It was, it was. I, I did it for nothing. And and Aesop says in verse thirteen, Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. And I say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into destruction? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh. So, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I, continue, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me with thy right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all thy works. Amen. God honor his word. That's the word of God. That was written in the Old Testament, and that's what Paul says, that that was written for your and my admonition so that we could learn something. You see, the apostle Paul, he'd been saved about 20 years when he wrote Romans 15, 4, telling us those things. And Paul is telling you this evening, hey, Christian, you can learn something from the Old Testament scriptures. You can find comfort there in your heart in the year 2023. But you need to be patiently patiently searching those scriptures. Be like the Bereans, and then you will have hope by what you find. You know people don't know the power of God because they don't know the scriptures. When you know the scriptures, you know the power of God. Amen? And if you're anything like me, saved, sealed, sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ from time to time, you must have asked yourself, why does it seem that good people suffer while the ungodly people are prospering. They keep prospering. Why do Christians faithfully tithe and give their offerings and seem to sometimes experience financial trouble, yet the God robbers continue to drive new cars and they live in nice homes and they eat in nice restaurants? Why does it seem that the faithful Christians are the ones being diagnosed with illness and cancers while the lost people appear to be in great health? You know, one of the most difficult things for you and I to do as Christians is to witness the injustices that go on in our society and, and from the White House and around the world, the disparities between saved and lost people. And I wonder sometimes, how do you and I, young and old, 
boy and girl, man or woman? How do we see these things and not become bitter? How can Christians in the now and nasty 2023 keep from becoming hard-hearted and bitter as the ungodly seem to prosper all around us? And by the way, the ungodly are not prospering. It only seems that way. Oh, yeah, to a Christian who has purpose to do right in their heart, it may seem that way, but it is not. Back there in the 73rd Psalm, the psalmist Asaph was feeling just like you and I feel today about those wicked, prospering people. See, they were around then, and they're around now. And that's why Asaph wrote the 73rd Psalm. How then shall a Christian now, in the now and nasty, keep from becoming hard-hearted as the wicked seem to prosper all around us, all around the world? Well, Asaph, please, Asaph, tell us. The psalmist here, notice verse number one of Psalm 73, truly God is good to Israel, even the such as are of a clean heart. Amen. Hey, listen, the psalmist here is telling you and I, man or woman, boy or girl, young or old, that, that, we, that I, we need to get something straight before we deal with anything and everything. Well, what is it, Asaph? Tell us. God is good. Amen. Financial trouble? God is good. If you have an incurable disease, God is good. If your home is destroyed by an earthquake or fire, God is good. Or flood, God is good. Before you and I look at the appearance of prosperity in the lives of the ungodly tonight, God wants you and I to get one thing settled in our hearts. So settle it in your heart tonight. God is good. God is always good. Amen. All right? So number one. We need to realize that God is always good. Here's the second thing you need to realize if you're taking notes. Realize that envy can destroy a Christian. You know that Christ went to the cross not because the people were jealous. Jealousy is I want what you have. Envy is I don't want what you have, and I don't want you to have it. And the Bible says they they crucified Christ for envy. You see, envy can destroy a Christian. Let me read to you the 73rd Psalm, verse 2 and 3. Asaph says, but for, as for me, my feet were almost gone, had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. See, Asaph was a person, a human being, just like you and I. And Asaph is admitting, just like you and I, that he found himself struggling over the prosperity of the wicked. Amen. And he came to a point where he almost slipped because he was becoming envious of the wicked. Hey, it it didn't seem right. Honest people are taken advantage of while the liars are prospering. And as a result of the dishonesty, the ungodly are allowed to prosper with it. You know, out here we we had a fellow on the TV, his name was Turco, and he used to investigate injustices and people would call in, and you know what he'd say? That ain't right. And you know what? It's not right either. And Asaph felt a strong sense of unfairness. And he felt this feeling of being offended. And you better listen to me tonight, Christian. I'm trying to help you. This is where you are, Christian. Then you had better realize that if you don't check that righteous indignation, which is turning unrighteous into envy, it will turn to you and it can, and you'll turn into a person who says, well, we can't beat them. We might as well join them. Amen. Lord, have mercy. You, you, you could start to think, why do I do right 
when obviously it doesn't pay. And if you're having those thoughts, I, I want you to turn in your Bible. Don't lose your 73rd Psalm. That's our primary. But I want you to go to the book of Philippians tonight, and I want you to open chapter 4, and I want to read to you something the Apostle Paul wrote, one of the, one of the greatest Christians to ever live, the Apostle Paul. What a sacrificing man for the Lord. Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to give you a moment to get there. Amen. Thank God for the Apostle Paul. Thank God for any man will go. In the book of Isaiah, the Lord says, who will go for me? And, you know, Isaiah raises his hand and says, I'll go. Amen. And the Lord said, go, boy, go. And he never stopped. And would today that there were some Isaiahs here today. Now, I want you to look at uh, chapter 4 with me, verses 11 to 13. Verse 11 says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You can't do it on your own. Don't you understand that? I can do all things that through Christ which strengtheneth me. How many times have you been told world philosophies, you've got world philosophies on you, and you need to get them off? Oh, God only helps those that help themselves. There isn't a verse in the Bible that says that. That's a lie and a lie and a lie. The Bible says, Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. Nothing. So whatever you're trying to do, you're not going to do anything unless the Lord's first in it. You know, one of the greatest things a Christian can learn is to be satisfied with whatever God has blessed him with. You know, God gives a person honey. In the Bible, they were going into a land of milk and honey. Those are the staples. And they say out in the islands, they don't have sugar like the United States of America, where we can go to the store and buy sugar. Out in those islands when those tribal people go out and they find a, a honeycomb and there's honey in it. They grab that honey off the tree, they smoke the bees out, and they bring that back to their village, and everybody's happy. It's a big celebration. They got honey. But you know the funny thing about honey? You better enjoy it while God's blessed you with it, because those bees may not be there tomorrow. They might have moved on. And that's what Paul's talking about. He says that he has learned to be satisfied with whatever God has blessed him with. Amen? Because he knows that God is good. And if, you, if you're listening tonight and you're seeing your life any other way, you need an attitude adjustment, a Christian attitude adjustment, a Holy Ghost attitude adjustment, amen? Get a new attitude this evening toward God because God is good and God is always good. And thank God he has blessed me with an automobile, with clothes, with relatives, with children, with a home, with vacations, with a job. Whatever it is God's blessed you with, you need to be thankful for it. Too many people are looking what they don't have and not being thankful for what they do have. And maybe if you were thankful for what you had, God will give you some more. And I'm no prosperity preacher, but I'll tell you what. God will bless you. He said he'd make you the head and not the tail. But people don't get blessed because they're envious of the evildoers. Now, look, you get your attitude adjusted. God is good. And you know what will happen if you're married? Your husband and your wife, they'll become renewed. They'll be a renewed source of joy to you when they realize that there's no one else in the world that could be a better help me. Amen.
God is good. Here's the third thing tonight we need to realize, all right? The psalmist, Asaph, he goes on to explain how he himself misjudged the things that were taking place in his own life and caused him to have the feelings of bitterness. You see, verse number four of Psalm 73 says, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. You see, he misjudged how the wicked die. Hey, hey, you listening? Look up, look up, listen. Hey, the psalmist, it looked to him like wicked people were dying in the same peace and resolve as did God's own people. My brethren, how is that possible? How? Brethren, over the past 10 years alone, you and I have heard, and maybe even we've read one of the many books written by the unsaved wicked and lost people of the world who've described life after death experiences. And oh, 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 how they describe beautiful colors and lights and music and feelings of joy and peace. Hey, how can a lost person, man or woman, boy or girl, give such a wonderful testimony? How? You see, the devil is a master deceiver, and he pays. The wages of sin is death, but he pays, and his wages and what he pays with is counterfeit money. You see, the devil's a master deceiver. There's an eternity of difference, my brethren, between being clinically dead and resuscitated and being dead and waking up in hell. Amen? So don't tell me that an unsaved man went to heaven. But it didn't happen. And they didn't see these beautiful lights. They were clinically dead. They were not dead, dead. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's the scripture. And a Christian dies, he goes to heaven. And oh, how we fight not to die. And we worry so much about what happens if we die. Hey, listen, the scriptures say absent from the body, present with the Lord. Thank God. Hey, listen, what do I got to lose if I die and I'm a Christian? Okay, what I got I got streets of gold. I get to hear the seraphim standing around the cherubim, standing around the throne of God. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who is, who was, whoever will be. Amen? The Lord. And I get to see the angels, and I get to see the other people that, that from years. I get to meet Paul, the apostles. I get to stop the struggle with sin, and I know what truth is, truth, truth and peace is finally. Amen. And we're afraid? What is a Christian afraid of? Lord, have mercy. You're just not thinking right. It's all about attitude. Amen? Now, let me say this also, okay? Here's another thing the psalmist misjudged. Look at verse number five. He said, they are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. That's a, that's a lie. He misjudged wrongly, and he concluded that trouble only visits those who do right, while the wicked were able to live carefree lives. Did you hear what I said? The psalmist Aesop misjudged wrongly and concluded in his own heart that trouble only visits those who are doing right, the will of God, while the wicked were able to live carefree lives. Look in verse 7. He says their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. He misjudged God's distribution of blessings. And so do many of my Christians, my Christian brethren. Envy and bitterness caused Asaph to misjudge who was blessing and who was being cursed in his life. 
You see, he was looking at the prosperity of the wicked, and he was seeing that they look like it appears the appearance of injustice they're being blessed. And he became started to become envious of them. And again, when you get to that point, it's only one step. If I can't beat them, I'll join them. Backslider. And so he misjudged God's distribution of blessings. Brethren, they may be rich, but rather than being a blessing for the wicked, Jesus warned everyone that riches of this world are so dangerous that they could prevent a lost man from entering heaven, from getting saved. You know that sometimes poverty can cause a person to be more likely to receive the gospel message. When Jesus Christ preached, it wasn't the Pharisees and the leaders and the Sadducees. It wasn't those people. It wasn't the businessmen. It wasn't the leaders who came and, and they heard Christ. It was the common people. You see, because wealthy people, they rely on their wealth to save them. And it won't. It will not. Amen. And so you got to get this life, this Christian walk in proper perspective. Amen. And Jesus warned about that. And, and listen, God knows you and I better than you and I. You might think you can handle that amount of money you're looking for, but you know what? You might get a hold of that money and turn your back on God, and God knows that, or get into other trouble or harm other people. Amen? So you, you, you better just trust what God's doing is correct. Now look what the psalmist says in Psalm 73 uh, uh, here, where uh, uh, the Asaph in verses 8 to 12, Notice what he says. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. What? And their tongue walketh through the earth. You know, verse 12 says, behold, or, or excuse me. Verse 10 says, therefore his people return hither. And waters of a full cup are wrung out of it to them. And they say, how does God know? And is, the, is their knowledge in the most? What a dumb thing for any man to say, how does God know? God that created the minds, he doesn't know what you're thinking. Amen. God that created the eyes, he doesn't know what you're seeing. God who created your feet, he doesn't know where you're walking. For the scripture says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro in the earth. Amen. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Verse 12, behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. And you know what? Aesop misjudged God's long suffering. See, you and I, we don't have the long suffering of God. God will give a lamb a lot of rope. But when he hits the end of that rope, he'll know it. And God's long-suffering, he's not a man. He's not. God the Father is long-suffering. Asaph, he failed to consider that the wicked were getting by with nothing. They were lost. And they have nothing to look forward to but hell. And while Asaph was going to heaven, please, brethren, understand that this is why God uses an enormous amount of patience with lost people. God waits patiently. And sometimes the result is that the wicked are being saved and spared 
from the horrors of hell, they finally come to receive the gospel message. And God, the Bible says God would have none to perish and all men to be saved. So don't be angry. Maybe God's just waiting on them to get right. Now look, here's another point. Point number four. I want you tonight to realize how much you and I need church. And when I say church, I'm not talking about this, you know, give me $100 and you're going to make a million. I'm not going to sell you five miracles in a bottle. I'm not going to sell you a prayer cloth you can put in your pocket. My God's not a genie, okay? So don't look for that over here. Okay, when I say church, I mean sound doctrine, Bible-believing, King James only. Well, they name sin, sin. The sins that put Jesus Christ on that cross. Amen? Too many people go to church. And they come back and they say, oh, man, that preacher almost put me to sleep. And that preacher said this. And that, hey, listen, quit judging the preacher and go there and listen to the message. You're worried about what Miss so-and-so is wearing and what clothes they got on and how their kids are dressed. Hey, why don't you stop comparing each other? And why don't you just go to church and listen to the man of God? He's got the message of God. Amen? And so here we have it. Look at verses 16 to 18. Psalm 73, verses 16 to 18. Asaph says, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. Amen. Verse 7 says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. You see, and verse 18 says, surely... Thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. That's the church, one of the benefits of the church. One of the greatest benefits of the church is that through fellowship with other Christians and the preaching of the word of God, we're able to have our attitude adjusted and our perspective on life change, refocus. Most churches have a Wednesday night service. Listen, they didn't just pick out a Wednesday night for no reason. There's a reason why Baptist churches have a Wednesday night service. It's because from Sunday to Wednesday, you heard things you should not have heard. You saw things you should not have seen. You might have even said and done things you should not have done, and you need to recharge your Christian walk. And so Wednesday, you go to Bible study, and you get edified, not educated. Education only lasts in this world, but an edification will last you through all eternity. Amen. And so you go to church and you get edified on Wednesday. But Sunday, you go to church and the, and the message of the Lord, it brings conviction of sin and encouragement. And, it, and preaching of the word of God will get your heart right. And if you're not in church on Sunday, and forget this, I'm, oh, wow, this is on the Internet. Cut that out. Get to church where you belong. The pandemic's over. Quit robbing God. You don't have to pay tithes. I know when you're watching on television. You know, to leave the pastor hanging in the rest of the sheep. You need to cut that out. I don't know what's going on in America today, but I know there's a great falling away of the churches. And I know there's a lot of Christians that are making excuses. And I talked to Brother Raymond the other day. He told me they found 95 excuses so far in the Bible. You know, amen. All right, listen. Scripture says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood 
they're in. You know, people don't understand what church is for. They think it's for programs. They think it's for entertainment. They think it's to go there and just fellowship. Church is where God wants to meet with his people on Sunday. We were created for God's enjoyment, and we are to enjoy God. In the Garden of Eden, the Bible says the Lord walked. It's a theophany, and the Lord walked in the garden with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. Why? To enjoy their presence because he created them for his joy and so that they would have joy. And when they have joy, he has joy. Amen? And when you go to church, God is waiting to meet you there. And when you leave, you ought to be able to say, I met with God today. What a change. You ought to get right if you're backslidden, and you ought to get stronger if you're not. That's what the church does. And that's what happened to Aesop. He was looking at the wicked. He was seeing all the things they're doing, and he started getting envious. But then he got awakening, and he says, until I went into the sanctuary of the God, then I understood the end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. You see? That's one of the greatest benefits of church, through fellowship, through preaching, to meet with God. And then we'll be able to have our attitude adjusted, our perspective of life change, a refocus. Some of you right here tonight listening, some of you think that preaching is just a continual revelation. And and you're to go to church and say, whoa, I never heard that before. You keep going to church waiting to hear something new. Well, listen, I got news for you. The Bible says we learn line upon line, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. Paul said the rapture to put the people into remembrance of these things to comfort one another. It should comfort us to hear those things. So so that's what you have to understand. And, And really, sometimes preaching is a rehearsal of things that you and I already know. But we need to be reminded of those things again. It builds our faith. It strengthens us. And when Asaph, he went in to worship God, and you need to be right-minded of him again, like Asaph. He went to the sanctuary of God, and that allowed God to remind him of the fact that God was still on his throne and that God is in total control of Asaph's life and that Asaph had forgotten that God is good, God is always good. But he got reminded of that when he went into the sanctuary. He went back to church. That's what a Christian does. Here's the final point. To realize that our doubts, our lack of faith, and our doubt will display our ignorance. Now, look, let's get something straight right now. The cannotated word of ignorance has been changed. Okay, folks? Look. Ignorant doesn't mean you're stupid. Ignorant means you're without knowledge. And I admit, I'm ignorant of some medical routines. I am ignorant of rocket science, okay? But that doesn't make me stupid. So people using this word ignorance, and the biblical definition of ignorance means without knowledge. And the Apostle Paul continually said in his epistles, I would have you without ignorance. He didn't want you to be without knowledge. So realize how much 
you and I, you know, our doubts display our ignorance. Bible says in Hosea, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. It's not what you know. It's what you've not known. That's what's going to destroy you. Look at verses 16 to 18 here in Psalm 73. Asaph says, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. Who's that? The wicked. Surely thou didst set them in a slippery place, come down into destruction. Okay? Look what he says in 19. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors, as a dream when one awaketh. So, O Lord, when thou awakest, Thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, he says. Now, this is where I want you to pay attention to the next two verses, because this is point number five. Thus my heart was grieved. I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. You see, after Asaph went into the church, the sanctuaries, he started doing some praying. And he took his complaints to the Lord. You know, I've seen altar calls where the, where the pastor says, folks, now you heard the message of God. Why don't you come up to this altar and do some business with God? And, and nobody in the church gets up, one or two people. You know why? Because people are silly. And the other Christians think, well, if I go to the altar, everybody's going to think that I have sin in my life. Well, that's not why we all come to the altar to do business. You may come there to because confess some sin to the Lord, but that's not the only reason to get up and come to that altar at the end of the service at the altar call. Go on up there and take care of the business of the Lord. You know, you used to sit in a bar before you were saved, and you weren't afraid to holler across the street, Budweiser, put it out. You go sit in a rain delay for three hours, in San Diego, the Padres game, and, and, but you're afraid to, to sit in church or the pastor's taking over 20 minutes. What's your problem? You know, you, you need to be a day man. You need to know what day we're in. And that goes for you sports fan Christians. I got something to say to you tonight. You think those millions of sports fans that are drawing 50,000, 100,000 people into the stadium are doing something good on a Sunday afternoon when people ought to be in church what they're doing is the devil's drawing their using entertainment to draw people away from the church. And then you spend three thousand, four thousand dollars to get a box seat to watch the World Series and then they or, or the Super Bowl and they win the game and you start yelling, Yeah, we're number one. No, you're not number one, pal. You just got beat out of four thousand dollars and that team's number one. You know, wake up. God's people are sleeping. You need to wake up. Hallelujah. Now, look, Aesop took his complaints to the Lord in the church. He went up to that altar, got on his knees. And you know what? God started revealing some things to Aesop. And he felt like an absolute fool for what had he been thinking. Actually had been tempted to give up on doing right. And, and, and that's what happens when you're watching the wicked. When instead of looking at what God's doing in your life and you're watching everybody else. Lord, Aesop, he was tempted to give up doing right. And I wonder today, this evening, how many of you listening tonight, right here, have been thinking of giving up? What's the point? 
I'm doing all the right things for the Lord. My children don't have what that man has. Those people are living wicked, and they're being, hey, listen, you know what? Sometimes God's destruction upon a person is hindered because we're praying for their salvation, and God's long-suffering, he's saying, okay, all right, I hear your prayers. I'll wait. I'll wait for them to get right. Amen. Sometimes they're being blessed, and it's by the devil to keep them away from God. Asaph, he also considered that he was wasting his time and his life serving God. And at times, he started to think that God didn't care. And I wonder, have you been thinking those thoughts tonight? Recently, Asaph had wanted to have the better things of life and the better things that life had to offer. And I'd even thought about turning his back on God just to get those things because it almost seemed as if God did not care. And I wonder, have you been thinking that? I may not know, but I can assure you this. God knows. He knows your thoughts. And in concluding tonight, this short sermon, I want you to know that when Asaph went into the sanctuary of God, which is to you and I, boy or girl, man or woman, young or old, in this nasty 2023, he went into the, and that's to you and I, Christian, the church. When Asaph goes to the church, the sanctuary, and God allowed Asaph through the scriptures and through preaching, through God's word, to see things, not as they had appeared, but as they truly are. And you know what happened? Asaph got ashamed. And you know what, folks? If you've been looking around and seeing the prosperity of the wicked and looking at the things that you have in your life, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. God is good. Asaph was ashamed. He was ashamed because he saw his faith was weaker than he had imagined. He was ashamed because he realized his spiritual insight into the things of God was lacking. He was ashamed because how could he have become such a fool? How can a Christian in this 2023 who is so strong in the faith come to a place of such weakness, I wonder? How can a Christian in 2023 come to a place of weakness? And why don't you and I, why don't we ask Asaph, Asaph, could you tell us, how'd you get to this place of spiritual foolishness? What's that, Asaph? Oh, he said he forgot God. He forgot that God was good. He forgot that God is always good. And I wonder, I wonder which one of you tonight that are listening who are right here and now among us. How many of you have forgotten that God is good, that God is always good? You know, I've had people call me and say to me, my, my son was killed. He was only so many years old. How could that happen? Why did God let that happen? And the answer I can give them is, I don't know the plan of God. 
I don't know. I don't know. Well, why would God let that happen? I don't have that answer. But I know God is good. And God is always good. My friend, listen, God has a lot of ways of taking people out of the earth. A lot of ways. On the date of the tombstone, I told somebody today, for the first time, I'd been ill for two years. And if finally, I was able to bring our church out and show them how to witness. And we were at the Woodbury Library. And we were able to witness to people and to talk to people. And I'm telling you, people are hungry for the gospel. People need hope. But I didn't stand around looking at people in the BMWs and the Porsches driving by me and say, why why didn't God give me one of those? Well, probably because I'd probably get up on a highway at 120, 130 and kill myself. I don't know. God knows. Amen? What I'm trying to loves you. A fellow Christian's daughter was 12 years old or so walking through Brooklyn, New York on her way home from school. And a door came off a building 10 stories high in a construction site and killed her in a moment, instantly. And the man said to me, that was my only daughter. Why did God allow that to happen? He said, I don't know. You and I can't get an explanation of everything God does or why God allows these things to happen. And there's a lot of bad things that happen in our lives. And you know what? We do some things that aren't correct. And then we don't understand why we're chastised of the Lord. We need to examine our own hearts. So when that man asked me, where was God when my daughter was hitting the head with that door? You know what I told him? God was in the same place he was when his son was crucified on the cross. We don't have all the answers. Quit trying to get all the answers. The Bible is the book of God. It's the holy word of God. It's complete in its entirety. Jesus said, lo, in the volume of the book is written of me. Christian, be grateful for what you have. Don't complain about what you don't have. Be faithful in the little things, God says, and if you're faithful with the little things, he'll give you bigger things. Maybe you're not faithful in those things. I don't know. It's your heart. So let me recap for you. Number one, the appearance of injustice. You need to realize that God is always good. Number two, you, you, you need to realize that envy will destroy a Christian. Number three, you need to realize that things are not always as they appear. Number four, you need to realize how much you and I need the church. That's God's plan to the rapture. Amen. And then number four, you need to re- uh, number five, you need to realize that our doubts display our ignorance in the power of God. I wonder how many of you have spent some time fasting. 
When's the last time you fasted and just prayed with the Lord? When's the last time you truly confessed a sin instead of going to bed at night and say, God, forgive me all my sins? How about God? I used malice against my brother. I thought evil thoughts. I, I repented and I turned from them. Those are real confessions of sin. And 1 John 1, 9 says if you're faithful and just to confess your sins, God, God's, uh, if, if you confess your sins, God's faithful and just to forgive you. You need the church. It's just an appearance of injustice, my brethren. Remember, God is good. God is always good. And good night. And I'll turn this program back over to the host, Brother Joe. Alrighty, I'm here. I'm here. I don't know if you want to have a conversation or not, or if you've got any people that you asked to call in, or they maybe want to talk. But well, I know you're not here to debate with anybody, and that's not what we're going to do. We're not here to debate the Bible or debate whether what's true or debate the things of the world. But then maybe there's some people out there that maybe uh, that they got some questions, or or maybe have a question about uh, you know. Uh, I notice a lot of people there. They always why this way? Why why well, we believe this way? Or why the why you like you mentioned earlier? Uh, you mentioned it yourself. The King James Bible is the full word of God, true word of God. But then you always hear the argument. There's so many different versions out there. There's so many. I like the way it reads. It's comfortable to to read the the, the newer versions. Uh, you know, and after after all, isn't the point just to get people to God and uh, and bring them to God? I mean, what's the harm in that? You know, I, I always hear that. What do you, what do you say about that? Well, here's here's what I say about that, brother. Okay. God has preserved his word. Psalm 12, 6, and 7 says he's preserved his word. And he says that uh, thou will preserve them in verse 7. Okay? And so Matthew believed it. Jesus believed it. Mark believed it. Isaiah wrote about it. And the apostles wrote about it. Somewhere, God's word is preserved. Okay? Now, just for an example, when you read that verse in any of the newer Bibles, They've changed that God will preserve them, the word of God, to one simple word. It's a trick. Thou will preserve us. See? Not us. He's not talking about that. It says the word of the Lord is tried seven times in a furnace of fire. Thou will keep them. See? And so they've changed one word. And those Bibles are a deception. There are over 4,000, over 5,000 uh, 420 manuscripts extant today. Extant means that exist today. Now, there are different families of manuscripts, yes. You'll hear about, and then there's the people like Westcott and Hort who devised how they would destroy the King James Bible and get rid of it and bring in the new Revised Standard Version. And when the new Revised Standard Version came, there was such an upheaval among sound doctrine Christians that, you know, there was a great problem. So then we're on to the next Bible. And so all these Bibles are written to improve the standard of the King James Bible. Now, if you owned an yeah. automobile and you brought it to 60 mechanics and they couldn't get it right, you, you wouldn't go to those mechanics. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, well one other person that mentioned, we, you and I had a conversation about the afterlife, about ghosts and everything. Anyone who wants to make a comment, uh, ask the, uh, uh, Dr. Peter Ventura a question, uh, again, we're not here to debate anybody. We're not here to complain and, and uh, do anything like that. We're not going to do that. So, But uh, press number one, you have to press one, the people that called in, uh, and then people, they know how to send me comments and emails and stuff, because I already got a couple already. <clears throat> Some people, you know, they, 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 I guess, get, you know, they, they're confused or they just don't understand the Word of God. But anyway, one person in my family said uh, 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 that they saw ghosts, uh, ghosts when they were working at a convalescent home. And, and you said there's no such thing as ghosts. And, uh, it, you know, or if there is a ghost, then it's demonic. It's, uh, it's, it's to uh, trick you and to, you know, or take you away from God. You know, but these people swear up and down, you know, that, that, that you know, they see people or they, they, they experience these things from the afterlife or, or these people that have had near-death experiences. And, and, and if it's demonic, it hasn't done anything to persuade them away from God. If anything, it's probably brought them to God. So how could it not be good? Or, or, or how could these people have the mind tricks going on? All these mind tricks are happening to them, and they didn't see what they say they saw. Well, here's the problem. We have to go by the standard of the Word of God. And the standard of the Word of God says that they have no more to do under the sun. Okay, their their mission here is complete, absent from the body to be present with the Lord. Okay, and so there are emotional things that happen to people. And I, and I, hey, listen, I don't doubt that people are sincere in what they said they saw. Okay, just like that woman in Connecticut who, you know, the Christian woman that was, uh, you know, exercising homes and different things and working with people that were being terrorized by demons and and you know what there were there were children that they saw in those homes but they were apparitions demonic apparitions okay they weren't they weren't somebody's kids they may look like them they may appear as them and remember even satan himself appears as an angel of light and he's not you know you and i were talking about egypt uh, uh, this afternoon and about the power and about you know palm readers and those things and you get down to Egypt and Moses is standing before Pharaoh and Janice uh, and, and James and Janice uh, you're welcome sister uh, I just got a message from somebody that's listening you're welcome uh, and, and Janice and Jambres the magic men are there and Moses throws his staff down it turns into a serpent well janice and james do the same thing where did they get their power they didn't get it from god they didn't represent god they had power and it's and the devil has power and there are there are witches there is witchcraft uh, there is voodoo there is santeria the island uh, there is mithraism the babylonian religions there are many many religions and they're the, that are demonic, and they have the power of Satan. Okay. Well, like I said, these people, you know, if anyone's listening, uh, you're more than happy if you want to pose the question a little differently than I have, uh, then you're more than welcome to. Because, you know, and it always seems like when I have somebody on here that's qualified or has studied it, you know, they, they, then they don't want to make these comments, you know, or they don't want to ask these questions like they're afraid. Nobody's well, going to bite you, <laughs> you know. No, I, I welcome all questions, and I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, Joe knows I, you know, I hold a doctorate in religious education, a PhD in world religions, just paper. That's all. That, so don't be intimidated. 
I'm a man just like everybody else. It's just that I've spent 30 years or more studying these things. And, and uh, I studied them for a reason. And, and the truth is this. I really don't know all the Bible. I know men that have read it 59, 60 times in their life. And, and I, you know, I've read it uh, 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 many times. And each time I read, God shows me new things that I missed the other, you know, times I read through. And, and so what I'm saying is I don't have all the answers. I don't. But what I do know, I can tell you I know. That I know that I know. And if I'm wrong, I stand corrected in that. I'm not ashamed to say, hey, listen, I, 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 I'm wrong. But I well, we have a great divide in this country today, obviously, between the Republicans and the Democrats. America is divided, and we're in trouble, obviously. And, 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 and people don't see it, or they see it, and they don't know what to do, and nobody has the answer. And they're looking at the leadership that, that's broken, and, and it, it's, there's, there's and you, everyone's saying come to church, but you see the corruption within the churches. All the churches are in apostasy. Uh, you even say that yourself. You know, the Catholic Church, uh, you know, obviously uh, the, the atrocities that they've had over the years with sex trafficking, and now they had this movie out, Sound of Freedom, that has to do with uh, child trafficking. And uh, in the movie, they make a comment about the uh, millstone there around your neck. Uh, I forget what the exact biblical comment was, but uh, he said God's you know, children is not for let, sale. Go ahead. Let me, let me say this. Let me say this. There are atrocities in every religion, in every government, in every home. And, and, and so uh, sin is sin. And you're going to have atrocities. And you're always going to have, because people are tempted by sin to do the wrong thing. And they do do the wrong thing. They make mistakes. And I understand that. And when I tell people to go to church, what I'm telling them is this. Find a sound doctrine church. Don't just go to a church. You want a church that's producing fruit. And listen, you don't need 100 people in a church. Oh, it's great to have it. You can do more for the Lord. But uh, truly, it's, it's the fruit of the church. And you want to find a church that believes the Bible, okay, that teaches and preaches the Bible, that calls sin, sin. I have people, listen, I'm surrounded, God has tasked me right now, this is the second church, I planted the church in Imperial Beach, California, uh, the Lord had me plant, uh, Pastor Angel Vasquez is out there now working that church, I'm in Connecticut because the Lord has moved me here, and, and, I, and the Lord had me again plant a church in fallow ground. There was no, there were 28 churches in, in Imperial Beach, California, it's only 13 blocks wide, 28,000 people. And, and there was, at the time, there was about 28 churches, no sound doctrine church, none teaching and preaching sound doctrine. The same thing the Lord tasked me with here in Woodbury, Connecticut. In Woodbury, Connecticut, you've got Methodists, you have the Episcopalians, you have Roman Catholics, you have Lutheran, but you don't, you don't have any church that's preaching sound doctrine. And these churches are waving flags, some of them. You know, the gay pride flags in front of their churches. Some of them have women preachers. I mean, there's a whole... There's a whole array, but you need to know when you're going to find a church, first you must pray and ask God to lead you to the proper church. That's the first thing. You need prayer, and God will lead you to the right church if your heart's right and you only want to know the truth. My greatest prayer since I opened this Bible was, Lord, please, lead me in the truth. Never lead me astray. Never let me go astray. God's not going to lead me astray, but never let me go astray. And that's one of my greatest prayers, and that's been sincere. And, and as far as I know, 
the Lord's led me in the truth. And But again, Dr. Ventura is just a man just like you. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I'm a nobody telling everybody about a somebody. And that somebody's Jesus. And so, you know, I'm not going to sell you dreams. I'm not going to tell you to go to a church where they're dancing with snakes and they tell you they have apostles and, and, and you know, all that stuff. You, what about you know, the people that and, don't go to church? Like I got one person that sent me a message on, on Facebook. I'm not going to mention the name. They said, well, why would I ask him any questions? Who is he, who is he to have the answers or, or, or well, you know, well, he's a pastor of a church and he's obviously studied the Bible. Well, I mean, you know, so if well, he, have, we're obviously, you know. Yeah, I got an answer to that. Because the Bible tells us that God gave us pastors and teachers. And by the way, there's no comma between pastor and teacher, the word. So therefore, a pastor must be a teacher. So God's given us pastors and teachers. That's why you go to church. Because God speaks through men. And God uses men. And and then the one thing you do when you do go to church and you hear the preacher preaching is you're to know the book. You see, and and so when he's preaching, you're to look at, you're to research the scriptures to make sure that this man is a man of God and that he is speaking the words of God, and he's not twisting yeah. scripture. That's your job. That's, yep, that's true. So that's important for fellowship at church. All right, uh, let's see. Let me bring on this caller nine one four. Go ahead nine one four. I'm on. I'm muting you. Go ahead. Good evening, Pastor. My name is Joe, and I was wondering if, uh, thank you for inviting me tonight to uh, listen in. Um, I was wondering if later I could get a transcript of this. I was typing your message notes on my phone, and I accidentally uh, erased some of the notes that I took. Oh, no, this is a one-time deal. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. You, by the way, this, this program is archived along with all of us. Uh, Joseph's other programs. Uh, I'm not saying every program is is uh, 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 clean and for a Christian's ears because uh, he's we, the this program is designed to uh, educate people in uh, the times in which we live in. And so Joe has Amen. an open forum. He has an open forum, and there are people that use sometimes come on this program and use language they shouldn't. Joe's got to check them on it. There are trolls that come on and say things they shouldn't, and, and so and everybody's entitled. Though one thing about Joe is this: he doesn't censor, and so it's not strictly a preaching channel. But yeah, but uh, he, if he wants a copy of the show, though, I'll, I'll do is I'll email you the link to the archive show, Peter, and then you can send it to right. him, and he can have the entire right. show. You, you know, and he played over. You, yeah, you can you can archive it, or I can send you a copy of my notes. Now, Thank you. now who am I speaking? Who am I speaking to? I'll text you. I have your personal number. Okay, please do that. All right. I'll be more. Yeah. To, um, you know, I could even photoshoot it for you. Yeah, everybody's on, yeah, he has the right to remain anonymous, that's, so that's okay, that's fine. Um, but, uh, well, uh, let's see here, uh, he's immersed in his own belief system, uh, one person com- commented, I guess, but uh, thanks for putting my words on the air. So, well, I, 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 it's not his own belief. See, that's, that, Peter, these are the problems that we have in the world today. You know, you have a right to believe your way, or, you know, this is not your way of believing, Peter, I have my way, and that's, you know, and that's just the way it is, you know, and, and but there's only okay. one right way to believe in God, right? I got an answer. I've had people tell me, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Okay? 
well, let me let me let's let's really look at that. What you're saying. In other words, you're the standard, not the word of God. As long as I'm sincere. Uh, oftentimes, Joe and I talk, and we you know we kind of joke about it, but it's really not funny. How in San Diego, there's the San Diego River, and and the San Diego River is dry 85% of the time. There's nothing in it, and then all of a sudden it rains and it floods. And, and, and when it rains in California, there's not street drains down there like you have here. There's little dips in the road, and the water runs down the sides of the road until it finds a place to go. But the San Diego River's filling up, and, the, and the, the swift water rescue teams are there, and they're sitting on the side of the road, and, and they've got their life jackets on, and they got boats, and they got ropes, and they got signs that said, road out flooding. And the people see it, and they say, no, I can make it. And then they got to go out and rescue them before they drown. And you know what? Those people were sincere in what they believed. So just because you're con- sincere doesn't make it right. You have to have the facts. See, and, and the belief system is not based upon, I, I think it's true. I'm just going to believe it. There has to be facts. My, my faith is not built upon a, a dream. It's built upon facts. It's built upon eyewitness accounts. It's built upon archaeological evidence. It's built upon manuscript evidence. You know, when, if, if this person's uh, an educated person in the sense, and I'm not saying he's not, in the sense that he's done some studying in life and he knows a little bit about such books as Pliny Secundus and, and uh, 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 the Gaelic Wars and, and uh, Homer's Odyssey, and he's heard of these books and things, do you know that there's not an original copy of those? The, there's copies of copies, and they start in the, uh, from, from the 7th century and up, and some of them are 1,000 years old. But the Bible, the closest manuscript to the original, and nobody has an original. If somebody says they have an original, that's a red flag for you, my friend. They're lying. But the closest to the original is the Rhineland Papyra, and it's within 50 to 100 years to the original. So there are no other manuscripts uh, that, that are closer. And I've read the Egyptian Book of the Dead and all those manuscripts, okay? But the problem is, is that the prophecies of the Bible, in, you read in uh, Psalm 23, or excuse me, Psalm, in the Psalm, not 23, where, where David says, they pierce my hands and my feet. It's a prophecy, okay? They hadn't even invented crucifying the crucifixion as a means of death until 500 B.C. In 750 B.C., Isaiah had already prophesied where the Lord was going to die, how he was going to die, where he was going to be born. There's over 40 prophecies. It's not somebody's imagination. And then you have the eyewitness accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke was a physician. He ought to know if Christ was dead or not. Okay? And he traveled with Paul. He was a traveling companion. And, and, and there's 500 eyewitnesses in Corinth at the time of Paul's life. Even Josephus, the Jewish historian, writes of Jesus Christ, and he's not a believer. He just writes historically about Jesus. But he didn't become a Christian as far as I know. So, so if my belief isn't just because I believe it. You know, Jacques Derrida said, as I think, so I am. 
You know, what does that mean? There's only so one way to get to heaven. So heaven, heaven is real. Uh, the heaven's a place, a physical place that we're going to go when we die, or we go to hell, basically, right? There's two places. We're not going to be. A, we're not going to turn into a ball of energy and become a bush. We're not going to be reincarnated and live on a different plane of energy. We're not going to go to the mer- planet of Mercury, right? Right? Because you know, I have all these, all these no. many crazy beliefs out there. Well, where do they come from? That's what the problem is. Where did they come from? And who did they mimic? And what's the true word? And so when I know that I have the manuscript evidence now, and my manuscript evidence is accurate, and we're talking about the manuscripts that came up through Assyria. Now, there were Latin manuscripts. There were manuscripts which came from Alexandria, Egypt, which was a, a place of, of, of Gnostics, a place of heretics. And, and so you have to study where the stuff comes from. You know, Kitchendorf found... Uh, the Sinaiticus manuscript, he found it in a garbage can at the bottom of Saint uh, 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 Saint Anne's, I think, in uh, Mount Sinai, in, in a garbage can. Saint Catherine's, I believe it's called. I'm, excuse me, I'm just slipped my mind at the moment. But he finds this manuscript. It's called the Sinaiticus. Okay. Now that manuscript and another manuscript named Aleph are the two primary mis- manuscripts, along with the Vatican manuscript. But the, those two are the primary manuscripts that all new Bibles come from, okay? And they disagree with each other in over 2,000 places just in the four Gospels. How reliable is that? And you know what? They were never received by the church fathers. So you have to study that out. Dean Bergeron amassed from the church fathers' letters. He amassed 85,000 patristic quotes. And those 85,000 quotes, you could write a King James Bible almost in its entirety. And so when you look at the Bibles, it's, listen, there's, the question that was in the beginning, from the very beginning, was this. Yea, has God said. That's the first thing the devil did, was Try to question the word of God. What did God say? And then he quoted it and he misquoted it. And then Eve is the first Bible corrector because when she quotes what God said, thou shalt not touch it, he didn't say that. See, she added those words. And all Bible correctors either take from it or add from it. And so when you compare the scriptures, for instance, NIV and some of these Bibles are trying to make some corrections to cover up, okay? So... When you're reading Isaiah 14, and the scripture tells you, O thou Lucifer, how art thou fallen? How art thou cast down? And the new Bibles turn around and say, O thou morning star, how art thou cast down? You go to Revelation 22, and Revelation 22 says Jesus Christ is the morning star. So what you have now is the NIV and these other Bibles have thrown Jesus out. We still it all has to do with the deity of Christ, and and people don't understand the the uh, the, uh, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. They don't understand the the soul. You know, they don't they don't get that the Godhead. It's quite simple. In eternity past, God had a plan, and you and I will never know the plan till we get there. I don't know why God chose to do it this way, but in eternity past, God divided Himself into a three, into a, a okay a tripartite. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And and each is a person, an individual. He said he would send him to us, the Holy Spirit. All right? He's a person, he has a function. 
Jesus Christ is a person. He has a function. God the Father is a person. He's God the Father, and he has a function. And to, to perpetuate his eternal plan, that's how he, he worked it. And so Jesus, it isn't a plan that, that's going day by day like you and I do. Oh, we've got to change our plan. No, God's plan is firm. And the truth of the matter is it's devolution. It's not evolution. It all goes down. Nobody's bringing this thing back up. Okay, God might give a nation a reprieve like he did Israel, not send them to Babylon for 70, you know, for for so many years under Josiah. He could do that for the United States of America. But God's plan is that he's he's allowing man who has free will to fill up his sin. His cup is full, getting full and the fullness of the Gentiles is coming. And and if the world if you if if you over 50 years old, even 40 years old, you could remember when you were a child. And you could look at the world today and see where it's gone, okay, and, and where the sin of man is. And it's increasing. It's not decreasing. And churches are under attack, and churches are perverted. They're perverted because of these new Bibles. And what these new Bibles, and here's the ultimate thing, Joe. Here's the ultimate answer to everybody. The purpose of these new Bibles is to bring in the New Age movement of a one-world religion. You see, they're removing the word hell, they're removing the blood of Jesus Christ, they're removing Jesus Christ, and they're calling him the one that's coming. You see, the one. You see, because well, that's New Age movement. And what they're, trying, what they're trying to do is make a religion that we're, everybody's going to agree on, and we're all going to say, okay, we can worship the one. You see? And, yeah. and that's the purpose. And so now... The one world government got involved. How? Well, all these people that are reading these Bibles have functions in our government, in our schools, in our lives, in our towns. And, and so what they're doing is they're taking that watered down biblical stuff and, and making God just love. You know, oh, God's love. No, God is love. Love is not God. Two women loving each other, two men loving each other is not God. He says that's an abomination. And so they want to preach a love doctrine. And so what happened was those people are, are whose, re, whose religious beliefs have been watered down now, and they'll tolerate anything because, oh, God is love. And so they'll tolerate gays in their church, and they'll tolerate all these things going on in the world and the abuse of children and all these things, see? And, and what is it for? They're in our government. And it's all to bring a one-world religion and a one-world government. And you can see well, that. Well, the, the power of sin, though, I mean, you know, the, the gays, what to, we're not allowed to, to but you, know, you say, well, God tells us not to judge these people. You know, we're not allowed to judge these things, you know, so what are That's we supposed to true. do? Mm-hmm. God doesn't say that. He tells you in, in Corinthians that you're to set those who are least esteemed in the church to judge. You and I judge every day. We have to judge whether we're doing good or evil. Where do we judge it by? Our moral standard. Our moral standard came from the Bible. The book of Romans says that those people who are involved in those homosexuality and gay and the alphabet people, LGBTQ and all that, God's Bible says that in Romans that they are under the judgment of God, that when they knew God, they chose to serve the creature rather than the creator. See? And because of that, because they refused, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do that which is unseemingly. And what's going to happen? They're going to get a just recompense from God for it. See? They knew God, 
they didn't believe it, and they chose not to worship him. They chose to worship the creator. You see, because the Bible's clear on that. You know, for this cause shall a man and a woman be joined together, and they too shall be one, cleave to his wife, and they'll be one. You see, that's God's plan. You see, the purpose of marriage is to reproduce. And what do we reproduce? People. And two lesbians cannot reduce, produce people. And two males are not going to re- produce people. And so he destroyed five nations, five cities, four cities, you know, along. There were five cities down there in Sodom and Gomorrah. And he destroyed them for the sins of sodomy and lascivious and drunkenness and all that, all that sin that was going on. And so people think that as time is going on, God's got more lenient with sin. And he hasn't. Sin is sin to God. It's the same from the beginning to today. His opinion of sin hasn't changed. It's man who's trying to change God's opinion. It's man who wants to enjoy the pleasures of sin. So, and so he, in order to do that, he has to water down the word of God because it opposes him. So How what can, can the Christian out there do, the Christian? What, so where is the Christians out there in the streets and uh, today in society? Where are they today? Why do, why is so much out there that we're seeing the evil just take over everywhere and the bad things happen? I mean, nobody has respect for one another. We see the hate, the evil. Uh, I mean, people, you, you can get killed just driving down the road now, road rage. I mean, just obviously the man, people's hearts have changed, and they're not as, as good and kind and giving as they were once were, like you just mentioned earlier, 30, 40 years ago. We can all remember how the world has changed, and it's changed for the worst. Uh, we, can, we, can we change it for the better, or is that it? This is part of God's plan, and what do we do? Just sit back in our houses and pray to God and say, well, God, it's part of your plan. No, I I, I'm going to I heaven. I accept Jesus. No, I don't think we do that. I think we, we, we preach the gospel who is the true and honest preachers, and, and they're the minority. They're not the majority of preachers in this country. Uh, they're the minority. But they have to continue preaching the gospel, and they have to keep calling sin, sin. And they have to teach their people what sound doctrine is, what, to, what, what God, you know, who is God, and what does God believe in, how does God see these things. And they have to speak out against the evil. And we do. And, and, and by the way, there's a great movement. There's a lot of Christians that are. Uh, I was just watching uh, recently an article uh, that I saw. Uh, it was not an article, but a video on, on, a, on a channel where, where the girl who's um, a swimmer in a school, and, she, and this transvestite was allowed to go into the locker room. And, you know, she complained, and they threw her out of school. And now, you know, she's in the fight. And so this is, wh- this is where it goes. It begins. There was just some good things happened in our government along with this defense bill, if you read it, about, you know, about this stuff, about this homosexuality and all that gay stuff going on. And so governments are limiting. There's something going on. There are some good people that are standing up for it. Uh, they've limited abortions in most states to you know, as much as they can. And really, it should be outlawed, but, you know, except for certain circumstances, I suppose, you know. But even then, you know, you, you looked at uh, Rachel in the Bible. She died giving birth. And so, yeah. um, you know, we, we, how, do, how do we look at this stuff? It, 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 we have to pray. We have to be, first of all, Christians got to get their own hearts right. They want to complain about the government. They want to complain about all these things going wrong around them. And they're not even right. Get right. You get right, and God will hear your prayer. And then you know what? 
We need to pray that God gives the United States of America leaders with God consciousness. Those who are going to lead us in a godly fashion and, and make laws that are godly. But the Bible says that there's a time where we're in where your women rule over you and your children are oppressing you. In Connecticut alone, there's so many youngsters, and they're under 20 years old. They're hijacking cars, carjackings, and running people over and shooting people. And, and you know, your children are oppressing us. Well, why? Because they've removed God from them. They've destroyed the nucleus family. You see, godliness is taught in the home first. The parents are supposed to be godly, and they teach their children how to be morally godly. And listen, that doesn't mean that everybody's children are going to turn out right. Children make bad decisions. And you know, the funny thing is this. The Supreme Court recently said that children's brains, all the scientific evidence has proved that a person's brain isn't fully developed until they're about 25 years old. And so states like Connecticut and other states have implicated programs like the one you saw in Germany where they're dealing with these youngsters and trying to show them, you know, help them because they realize that their brain isn't fully developed when they're doing these things. They're not even thinking right. You see? And then we pack our prisons with these kids. That's another problem. And so we can't – you and I can't solve every problem, but, but we can motivate the people to pray to get their own hearts right and see God's, uh, 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 you know, what, what is God's plan for their life? And how can they help? How can they help turn the people's hearts back to God? Yeah. Because without God, you know, it's either back to the Bible or back to the jungle. And there's nothing in between. How can we? We've taken everything that stood for God out of the school. We're not teaching it. If, if the Ten Commandments were in school, kids used to walk into school and they'd read the Ten Commandments on the wall. And it would sink in their hearts. You see? And, and, and they had a moral standard. They'd stand up and have the Pledge of Allegiance. You know? And, and they'd learn to honor their mother and father. Today they're not teaching them that. They're teaching them to hide what they're doing in the schools. That teachers can hide their transgender uh, identity uh, from their parents. Where did the teachers get the authority to have that control over our children? It's not even biblical. And so we, we have to pray, and we, and we know God answers prayer, and we have to ask for leaders that are, that are godly. And those of us who have God consciousness, we have to ask God, what is our role, and how can we step in, God? Where do you want me? Do you want me to be the mayor of this town? Is that what you're saying, God, I need to get into politics? Is this idea of separation of church and state, this was a fallacy that they allowed. Separation of church and state means that the state does not run the church. It does not sponsor it like the colonies originally did. In order to be a member of the colony, you had to join the church. And in order to join the church, you had to be in a colony. And, and that's the kind of tyranny they ran away from in England. And they went back to it. You see, and that's why the Baptists went down to Rhode Island, and they started an independent fundamental church, separate. And then they got a charter for Rhode Island, Williams. So when you study that history, and so really, what is the Baptist? You know, listen, 
you know, people say we're non-denominational. Well, listen, you're a denomination. You're just called non-denominational, all right? A Baptist is just somebody who believes in in the Bible. They believe in in, in a regenerated, born again membership of the church. They believe in baptism by submersion. They believe in soul liberty. They believe in separation of church and state. The state doesn't run the church, and we don't pay to the state, and we don't have to join the church to be part of the government. And that's what that was about. The separation of church and state was intended to allow for religious freedom. Same thing as you come on this program, people talk about the Second Amendment. When Susan Haas was in Woodbury and she was running for office, she, she made a speech. And one of the things she said that stuck in my heart, and she was talking to the Concealed uh, and Carry organization here in Connecticut. And she said the Second Amendment is the Second Amendment for a reason. It was so important they made it the Second Amendment, not the Third, Fourth, and the Fifth, or the Ninth. It was the Second and yet there are so people that are indifferent because here's the problem. We've become selfish. We have become a materialistic nation. Me first. iPhone. There are people that are so crazy they're taking selfies, right? You and I, we go out, we take pictures of nature and birds and all. They're taking selfies. They've fallen off cliffs killing themselves. <laughs> they got an iPhone. This is why I, This is why Apple made so much money. You know, there's the apple with the bite in it. Where do you think that comes from? The Garden of Eden. All right? Evil from the beginning. You get an apple iPhone. The I is not I as in a letter just for the phone. It's I. It means my phone. I got an iPhone. It's mine. I got an iPad. It's mine. I got a PC. It's a personal computer. Stay off of it. We've just become materialistic. And, And Americans are so spoiled. We have so much stuff. I'll bet you, in my house also, and I try not to, but think of all the things that we have in our house that we haven't even worn, clothes and stuff that we have packed away that we haven't even worn for a year. If you ain't worn in a year, you're never going to wear it. But we have all that stuff. And, and we're blessed with abundance. And we don't even appreciate it. And yeah. so what's the answer? The answer is God's got to bring a judgment. He has to. Well, these people that won't listen, these people that won't listen, you know, you try, you see family and friends, and you try, try to bring the message of the gospel to them, and, and they don't want to hear it. They just don't, they shut down, they don't want to hear it. You know, what's, what's their fate? I mean, are they, so they're going to go to hell, or, you know, how do we know? How do we know, you know, because, you know, people say, well, you know, I would like to know if I'm going to see my family in heaven, you know, if I'm saved or not. You know, how do you know when you're truly saved? How does a person know, or how does people know that, that other people are saved? I know we can't judge other men's hearts, but, or condemn them, but, you know, uh, but well, how, do we, how do we you'll judge those them. matters? Okay, you'll know them by their fruit. Are they producing fruit? Okay, uh, you know. Uh, fruit bearing is something that every Christian has to do. That's, that was a complete and clear lesson from the Lord Jesus. I'm the vine, you're the branches. You're in me, and, and just like a tree, you have to produce fruit. What's the fruit? An apple tree produces apples. Christians produce Christians. Okay? So what's the fruit of, of their life? Are they producing Christians? Okay, here, here's another thing about that. The Bible's clear. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not the physical kingdom that's going to be on the earth in a millennium reign. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. 
and 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 it's clear. It's not uh, physical. It's not meat. It's not bread. Okay. It's a spiritual kingdom, and and we are spiritual beings, and our spirits are eternal, and we have souls, and our souls are eternal, and so sin is eternal also. And so in order for us to, we're, we're born into this world and we become sinners. And you and I can't, God can't allow sin in heaven. And so somebody has to pay the price for our sin. And that's why Jesus Christ came. That's what I said to the, to the Hindu people I was talking to today and another fellow. I said, let me ask you this question. If you could just be a good person and go to heaven, how would you know when you did enough of good things to get there, number one? And number two, why would Jesus have to come and die? Why? I mean, you'd just be good. God could have spared his son this. But he chose to allow his son to suffer this. Why? Because he paid for our sins and they're eternal. And so how does a person get saved? Well, the Bible clearly says that if you repent, first of all, a person has to know they're a sinner. And how do I know I'm a sinner? Well, I've broken the laws of God. That made me a sinner. So if you listen, a, a simple example, and you laugh at this, we, you know, we've talked about this, Joe, where I, I meet the older people and I have fun with them because I say to them, let me ask you something. Let's, how you get in heaven? And they say, well, I believe I've been a good person. I never stole anything. I've never been in jail. I never, you know, I never did. I always open doors. I, I give money to the poor. And I said, okay, let's take it by the God standards. That's man's standards. I said, let's take the Ten Commandments as a standard. You were at work. Did you ever take a paper clip or a pen or anything from work that you shouldn't have? Well, yeah. Well, then the Bible says you're a thief. And let me ask you another question. You ever tell a lie? And don't say you haven't because then you're lying. And they start laughing. And and they know. You know, they're, they're, they're intelligent people. They live most of their life. And they say, yeah, yeah, we're, we've told lies. Well, thou shalt not bear false witness. I said, the book of James says if you broke one commandment, you might as well have broken them all. Because there's no degree of sin. Sin is sin. Okay. So now you're a sinner. So how are you going to get into heaven? Because sin is eternal. So you can't pay the price. That's why God sent Jesus. So if you just admit you're a sinner and say, God, I'm a sinner, and I repent. The word repent means to turn away. I'm going to go in a different direction from my sin. And, and so I repent of those sins. I broke your laws. And the book of Romans says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So, so I go before the Lord and I say, God. I'm a sinner, and I believe, and I repent. I've broken your law. And, and, and I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins, was buried and resurrected on the third day, and he's now at your right hand. And I'm asking Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. I'm going to put my faith in him. Amen? And, and that's how a person gets saved. And the promise of God is, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's how you call upon the name of the Lord. That's your guarantee. It's by faith. And then you know what happens? The promise is the indwelling Holy Spirit. So immediately when a person receives Christ as their Lord and Savior by making that confession, God senses the Holy Spirit into that person. And then the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if, if any man who's in Christ Jesus is a new creature, that's what he says. All things are passed away. All things are new. You see? And so that the evidence of your salvation is your own spiritual walk now. You can't do the things you used to do. You didn't have pleasure going to church. All of a sudden you're in church and you're having pleasure there. You're finding the joy of the Lord there. 
you're meeting people you would have never hung around with in your life because they wouldn't be doing what you're doing outside of church. And all of a sudden you're with these people and, and you're joyful. Why? Because it's the whole unity of the Holy Spirit. You see? That's why yeah. NAAA and all those things, those are great things, but they work on a person's mind. But God said he'd give us a new heart. And when we get saved, he gives us a heart, and he gives us a desire of the things of the Lord. And, and as you read the Word of God, God talks to you. See, the Word of God is a, a two-edged sword. When you read it, it cuts you. It shows you who you are. See? And, you you know, you read it, oh, yeah, I've that. i got to change that, you know? And then when you speak it, it cuts other people. And they don't like it. They're in their comfort zone. The word is you know, but there's places in the world, there's places in the world that don't have the opportunity to, to worship or receive the gospel. I mean, you look at the history of the world, and I think that's where people, you know, as history goes on and the time goes on, and we, we, we obtain more of the knowledge that we have, and we're able to communicate with people around the world, we see that, that you know, this, this you know, what, what's happening today is we've been saying the end is coming, the end is coming. Jesus' time is here. It's coming close, but no man knows the hour or time. And we see the world in the events, but when, you know, what is the end then? You know, what you're saying, you've mentioned the rapture earlier there. We get into a big heated discussion. Many people over the years have done that. You know, well, when well, is this rapture? You know, you know, where is it foretold? And how does it happen? One, and how one, is really that going to happen? One thing I can suggest to them is go to last not last Thursday, but the Thursday before, go to go to Bible Believers Bible Study, and, and there's a complete study in one hour on what the rapture is, when it is, why it is, how it is, and, and it's clear in Scripture, okay? And it answers all those questions, all right? When does the end come? You know what I, all I know is this. The Israelites were told, look, you can't go in and take the land of the Amorites because their cup is not full. And when their cup got full, when their sin, when God had enough of their sin, then it was judgment time. And listen, God judged Israel the same way. When they got away from God, they got into sin. He sent other nations to conquer them. And they carried away to Babylon for 70 years. Okay? So, so um, what I, the point I'm trying to get is the sins of the world are getting to that place now that, that we the Gentiles, who God is dealing with in this church age, is getting to a point where God's going to say, that's it. That's enough. And that's when your rapture is going to occur. Okay. okay. So, because, you know, they get the generation thing. It says, in the, uh, you know, it says, obviously, not a generation. We read Matthew 24, not a generation. It will come to pass before he talks about the end times. And, obviously, a generation. Well, Israel became a nation again in two, uh, 1948. So, what's a generation in the Bible? 70 to 100 years. You know, so, right, right. Well, you know. What he's talking about, he's talking about that fig tree. And, and uh, in the Bible, God uses some symbols. And Israel's national privilege is depicted by the fig tree in the parables. And Israel's spiritual privilege is depicted by the grapevine, the pure grape, okay? And the grapevine, Jesus, you know, God's the husband, man, we are the vine, the grapevine, okay? And so this parable of the fig tree, if you study it very carefully, where it is in the context, he's telling you that all these things aren't going to come to pass. So this generation, not the generation that's there necessarily, but this generation that will see all these things, okay? So 
we have to sit back. And if we do go by the generation of the fig tree, which was 1948, the fig tree became, which was Israel's national privilege. Remember, it's the fig tree, and it gets its leaves back. It turns green. It becomes a new, you know, a nation. And remember this. It's the only nation in the history of the world that maintained its language and got back in its own land after it was scattered. Because, yeah. And, and so we look that, at the you know, we look at the uh, look what they're they're growing over there now. The land is becoming alive again. They just discovered the largest natural gas depository in the entire world there, you know, uh, uh, you know. So it was barren. The land was barren for so long, and now look at what we see happening over there, you know. So so the and we you mentioned prophecy earlier. All these things are foretold and in, in the Bible. How could man man? You know, there's not no there's no guy behind the curtain pulling all the strings making these things happen. You know how how are these prophecies being fulfilled and for and coming to pass right before our very eyes? But yet we still deny the Bible as the truth or accurate word of God. Well, because Amazing. man, if man admits the Bible is the word of God, then he must be a come obedient to the commandments of the Bible and what God said. And man doesn't want to live that life. He wants to fornicate. He wants to party. He wants to have a sinful life because he's finding pleasure in sin. So why do I want to acknowledge that God's real? And then you have the deceiver. You have Satan's out there, too, and his minions. And they're looking to deceive. They want to draw you away. They're trying to steal souls, too. It's it's a spiritual war. And you know what? We're in it. But we're not in it without the armor of God. God has given uh, the Christian, the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. You, so there's you know. this battle going on to take souls. There's this battle between Satan and God to steal man, man's soul, or the soul of man, to see who can get the most souls. And But in the end, Satan is destroyed. I mean, you know, somebody just sent me a message. It, it sounds like a cliche of all the stories that we've heard throughout the history. You know, it, that, you know, look, it, it, it doesn't play on really how the world operates. I mean, you know, how do we know, you know, all these miracles that are foretold in the Bible, there's, you know, again, we lose our loved ones, people die, you look at the wars that have happened, look at World War II, 70 million souls lost their life uh, during that time period. You know, where those people did, you know, how could that happen, you know, the loss of life and the the magnitude of where are those souls at? Where did they go? You know, well, like, you know, if you read the historical book called The Trail of Blood, you find out 50 million Baptists were murdered just for saying that they didn't believe they were called Anabaptists first. 50 million of them were killed because in religious slaughter because they taught you had to be baptized by submerging and not sprinkling. And Catholicism would not stand for it. And they hunted the Huguenots down and the Wavensians and all those people. And they, and they killed them. Wow. Okay. Many people. Well, if anybody wants to talk with, if anybody wants to get in here real quick, I'm going to cut some new callers on the line. But anybody, you got to press one, phone number 657-383-0616. Press one real quick because we're getting ready to wrap it up the podcast. If anyone's got a comment or they want to ask Dr. Peter Ventura a question or make a comment, then uh, you can. And then, of course, we do the regular show on a Tuesday night at 7 p.m. where we talk about basically the issues that we have open uh, line conversation about the problems we face here in the world and, and solutions, how we can come up with solutions to, to uh wake people up and and uh, restore our republic in America because we see our country is definitely lost that is for sure and one of the problems is is that that we that we all can agree we've taken god 
out of the picture. And if we don't put God back in the picture, then uh, we can't get anywhere, that's for sure. So I've got uh, somebody else put their hand up here real quick, so I'll bring them on. Nine five, area code 959, go ahead, you're on. Brother, Peter, this is Jeff, your brother. How you doing, my brother? I'm good. I'll talk to you again later on. But I wanted to uh, address the young woman uh, you, you spoke about earlier, uh, lost her son. And uh, my understanding, of course, we've had this conversation before, but my understanding was always about the element of sin in the world. The sin runs four generations. And we don't know for sure, you know, what great-great-granddad might have done to bring certain uh, errors into this world. But not only that, we're subject to the sins of other people. You know, people bring on uh, delightful things in the world. You know, we, most of us, we walk through this life, you know, visualizing things, seeing things by sight. So when we become Christians, we don't walk that way anymore. We walk by faith. We don't walk by sight. But the element of sin is always still there and bringing it forward. And those who have not learned how to walk by that faithful vision, they uh, have fallen away. They, they fall to the wayside. People die. You know, nobody gets out of this life alive. And, uh, well, not everybody's going to live forever. We know that's true. The sad part about it is that nobody's ever expected to, you know, uh, that today might be their day. They say that as many as 92% of the people in this world die, die in their street clothes, which means they didn't plan on dying today. Only only a very few uh, people, a very small handful of people actually you know, are comfortable in their beds, in their pajamas, having a long, full life and satisfied to call it an end, actually have that moment. Some of us might be lucky enough to know what's going to take our lives before it actually comes to pass. But the element there, of course, is were you ready when that time came? Were you ready to stand before the Lord? Because, like you said, the Word of God says that absent from the body, present with the Lord. We go and stand in front of the Lord. When this life is over, Many people think, well, you're going to be laying in the, in the ditch for a long, long time as your body rots, waiting on for that moment of the, of the rapture. Well, that's not true. That's absolutely not true because the next thing we're going to know is the presence of God. The very yeah. next thing yep. that we're going to know is the presence of God. We're going to be divided against sheep and goats. And, well, the goat's not going to go north, and the sheep are going to go north. Right, hey, brother, get a choice. Can I ask smoke can I'm I ask sorry, you trying to say something, brother? Yeah, can I ask you a personal question? Sure. How, how's your health? My health is uh, is better than expected. Uh, I'm fighting cancer for those of you who may know me or don't know me one way or the other. I've already overcome one by the grace of God and by the power of God. I'm dealing now with a blood cancer. They say there is no cure, but I'm in remission. And remission is a good place. Uh, I feel healthy. I feel strong. I've got my hair back. Uh, I've got strength in my body and my bones. And I'm not dying. I'm living. Everybody dies. Nobody gets out of this world, out of this life alive. And so I have the opportunity to be able to see the thing that's going to eventually end my life, and I can prepare myself as such. I'm not filled right. with sorrow. I'm filled with joy. I have the opportunity to tell as many people about Jesus Christ as I can through my days. I'm a street minister, and I'm glad to have that participation every day. It's a great joy to see the, the light come on in somebody's eyes when they finally receive that message. But how is your health? That's what I want to know. All right. I, I'm okay. I, I'm recovering. I had some problems the other day. I got a little setback. I 
was uh, doing cardio rehab and my blood pressure dropped 30 points. And so they got concerned. And so we're watching that. I got some stuff Monday coming up and we can do some tests, but uh, here's the other question I want to ask you. And I have a purpose for asking these questions because there are people out there that have asked, have asked me and they told me I'm full of baloney. So uh, I'm going to ask you this question. All right. Are you afraid? Are you afraid to die? Absolutely not. I'm ready to go if that's the case, because I know that my heart is full. The joy that I have in my heart is irreplaceable. I know that that spirit, the Holy Spirit, he speaks to me as much as I speak to him on a daily basis. He knows the things in my heart. I don't think the way that I used to. I don't feel the way that I used to. The things that I'm experiencing in my life can only be of God. There's no other explanation. There's no other option. It's just absolutely not. I understand and receive everything that you talked about tonight, brother, and that's not because of something that I have going on in my life. It's because I perceive the things of the world only because of the knowledge and the strength of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so so let me ask you. I'm asking these questions. Just kind of give me some brief answers, and I appreciate it. I'm not trying to report on these things, okay? Did you always have cancer? Well, they they say that we're born with cancer cells, so I can assume yes. Okay, so but I'm saying the illness itself coming on you was that always or is that something recently? No, that's recent within the last two and a half years. All right, and here's the reason why I ask that. See, because I don't want somebody who's listening to say, well, the only reason why he's saying these things is because he has cancer and he could die and there's nothing he can do about it. Say, oh no, I I want, I want them to know that. Listen, you lived a normal life like everybody else, and then you. I got, had a wonderful you know, life. In many aspects, but at the same time, I've always, uh, no, I'm sorry, I didn't say always. I have also suffered wrongdoings by the hands of others who are evil people. Okay. So, and, and, you know, God's justifier of all those things. Some men sins, you know, come before him and some follow him after. But nobody's getting out of here without a a judgment. And and that's that. You know, know, we'll all appear if we're saved at the judgment seat of Christ. Absolutely correct. Or or will, if you're unsaved, you'll appear at the white throne judgment, and your name won't be found in the book of life. And so what we believe and what the Bible teaches, what Jesus taught, what the prophets teach from the beginning is that, you know, absent from the body, present with the Lord if you're saved. And if you're not, there's no, you know, it's either heaven or hell. There's nothing in between. There's no purgatory. There's no working off There's your no sins. plan B, brother. You know? So, and today's the day of salvation. For anybody listening, Absolutely. tomorrow's not promised. You know, not if, you don't, if you don't receive Christ today, you could die in your sleep, get run yes, over. You could. You could strike. Anything could happen. You know, not why to interrupt you, brother, but I had a 34-year-old friend of mine did 100. Uh, I'm sorry, did did 160 burpees one uh, one day. Two days later, woke up dead in the morning. Nobody knew why. Just perfectly yeah. healthy. So nobody is promised few, another day. I did a funeral about a year and a half ago, maybe two years. Uh, of a brother who, who got out of prison and, you know, I found him, he was in the prison and we lost contact and, you know, he was doing all the things right and studying. And then he got out and met some girl and he got sidetracked. I, I had breakfast with him on Monday and eight days later he was dead on the floor overdose. So who can figure, you know? Well, was the truth in his heart? Well, we don't know that for sure. We don't know what was going on in the man's heart and his mind. And I'm sure, well, somewhere I read, I don't remember off the top of my head, somewhere I read that once we get to heaven, we'll see people there that we didn't expect to see. Yeah, amen. So, 
but, you know, the problem is this. The Gnostics were always seeking knowledge outside the scriptures. And, and so what I learned was I can't disprove the book. I tried that. And there's a lot of apparent contradictions in there. There's a lot of things that say one thing and another person. You know, like if you read the book of Mark, Mark is specifically identifies one person, not always the, or everybody that's there. And I was, you know, Joe and I were talking today and we were saying, you know, uh, suppose we had a poker game and we were all playing cards, which are not gambling, but say we were playing cards. Okay, we're playing gin rummy and, and we shouldn't be using cards anyway because of the symbolism on the cards. But we're all together there. And I say, hey, I was playing cards with Joe yesterday. Am I lying? There were six other people there. No. And that's how Mark describes when he, he does his gospel, you see. And right. people don't understand right. I had a Muslim tell me one time, he said, you know, I'm going to show you a contradiction in the Bible. And I said, please do. And he said, okay, look at the genealogy in Matthew and the genealogy in Luke. They contradict you. They're not the same. And I, and I said, sir, I said, who wrote that book you're reading? I said, you need to write to him and tell him that one genealogy is from Jesus' side, from Joseph's side, and the other side is from Mary's side. Correct. I said, did you have the same mother and father? And if you did, they don't have the same genealogy, I assure you. Right. You know? Exactly right. And, and that's not what, only that, you know, it's that's the testimony of two people, two separate people. Given it at separate times without one another's uh, backing in the support of that testimony, they gave it as they perceived it. But the Word of God also says that the Word of God is written by man, inspired of the Holy Spirit. So it was the Holy Spirit who gave these testimonies to these men. There was nothing deficient in these testimonies, nor is there there any question about it, because there are no separate interpretations. Interpretations are solid, and they're directed willfully and wholly and completely by the Spirit of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was was with God. Okay? And so... The word is God. And, you know, when you read the word of God, it speaks to you. It teaches you. It convicts you. And that Old Testament's written. Here's an example. Uh, I'm out on my balcony. The guy next door got in trouble. He, I don't know what happened. The police took him away. And I, and he's yeah, got a young woman. guy up on the hill. No, no. And, and uh, uh, so we're standing out here. I'm standing out here alone. And this woman comes out and she waves to me. And, you know, the Holy Spirit brought to my mind right away. These things were written for my your admonition. Okay? And what was written? And then the Holy Spirit said, David. And I said, whoop, and I went inside the house. Okay? What did David do? He was standing on the balcony. He lusted after the woman he saw. Right. And next thing he was in adultery. And so those things are written for our admonition. That's how he got jammed up. And that's how we'll get jammed up. And so it's a good thing. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Same way Satan got everybody in the garden, he's still getting them today. Nothing. His tactics right. haven't changed. His people are foolish enough to think that there, well, there is no devil. That's the greatest, that's the greatest achievement he's made, is to get people to believe that. Well, we that's thought right. we'd know America's in trouble. So, Peter, uh, with time permitting, we got about six minutes left, so I'll let you wrap it up, closing thoughts, if you want to pray us out. Anybody else, if you got, well, you want to press one and get on here real quick, you can. Bless your heart. Thank you. All right, Thank you for the phone call. Appreciate it. Peter, Peter, closing thoughts here. Yeah, my closing thoughts is this. America is in trouble. 
and we become a sin-laden nation. And we need to we we need uh, uh, to pray and make sure our hearts right. And if our heart and listen, it takes fortitude to be a Christian. If you're in a church and they're using these other Bibles, you're you're, you're being duped. When you go to one one John five seven, I want you to look in your new Bible tonight and see if one John five seven's in there. Five six says there's three that bear witness in, in on the earth. All right. And then it says there's three that bear witness in heaven. But they removed the Trinity out of it. Your new Bible put it in a footnote and says the best manuscripts don't have it. They're not the best manuscripts. It's Sinaiticus and Alexandria. And my people are lost for lack of knowledge. Okay? And so I can't make anybody uh, believe me. I can't make anybody get saved. I can't save anybody. I can lead you to the Lord. That's all I can do. Whether you, you know, I'm just a pizza delivery boy. How you eat this pizza is up to you. You want to put salt on it? You want to put anchovies? That's up to you. Okay? But the truth of the matter is this. That man, Jeff, you talked to, uh, uh, myself, and, and many, many men, there are men who are standing for the Word of God, and, and they are not compromising. We're not saying that, well, you know, people don't think like they used to in the world, and the world's changed, so sin's okay in this manner. And No. Sin is the same. Jesus Christ didn't change his opinion of sin. Your church might have. And and that's the church you need to say, you know what, I'm out of here. Brother Lewis Brackett was in a church for 30 years. He was teaching children. They got involved with Saddleback Church. He went to the pastor and said, what you're teaching is incorrect, and Rick Warren is not teaching people how to get saved. And that's not correct. And the pastor said, well, we're going to continue teaching whether you like it or not, find another church. Okay, after 30 years, he walked away. Why? Because he's not going to compromise his faith. And a lot of people are too weak to do that. They're in churches, and they know the one. they got gay flags in front of the churches. they got women pastors. They're preaching. They're allowing these people in there, and they're doing all kinds of things, and that's sin. There was a local church here where a woman was shacked up. She was supposed to be the pastor, and she was shacked up with a man in the rectory. And those people, only one of them that I know of quit that church, and he came to our church. And he said, I can no longer go to that church. And he wrote her a letter. You, number one, are in sin. And number two, that the, the example you're setting for our women, children, our young ladies, is, is you're in fornication and, and, and you need to repent. And you know what? He, he had the fortitude to get out of that church. And that's what people need to do. And if they would do that, they would build a better and a stronger church of the Lord. You see? And, and God's going to bless that. He's going to bless that person. And the guy didn't want to leave his church. For 30 years he'd been there. But he had the fortitude to do it. And then there's other men who have callings and they're refusing to fulfill these callings. They know God's calling them. They're sitting in the church pew and God has called them, whether it's a missionary, whether it's a preacher, teacher, pastor, whatever. And they're refusing to do it because they don't want to give up the things of the flesh. All right? And often Joe and I talk about uh, Pastor Rich Godinas and his wife and what had happened in their, in their home, that God called them to be missionaries. He was making six figures at the time working for Verizon. On the day that he quit, he walked in, and the Verizon people said to him, congratulations. And he said, what? They said, we just got you a raise, and you're going to make more money. And he said, well, I got bad news. I'm leaving. And they said, what are you talking about? He says, God's called me, and I'm going to Paraguay as a missionary. And they couldn't believe it. And he went home, and they sold everything they had, and then they went on deputation, and they were getting ready to go to Paraguay for the Lord. Amen? 
And so these are men who are willing to sacrifice for God, and that's the problem. We have people in our churches who are refusing the calling of God because they're in a comfort zone, and they just won't trust God. And, and so we want our nation. We want a holy nation. We want our children to grow up in a nation. You know, your children and your grandchildren are going to inherit this nation. Is this what you want for them? You want them to go to school and the teachers hide that they're telling your boy, little boy, he needs a gender transition because he thinks he's a girl. They're not teaching them at home. And you haven't taught your children at home how to be a man, how to be masculine, and the women how to be feminine. And then you wonder why boys are turning out to be sissies and acting like girls and think they're girls. It's because what you're doing in your homes. And the stuff you allow your children to watch on TV, the average kid can see 20 murders a week on television. You just, nobody's supervising them. You might as well just open the front door of your house and let anybody you want come in because that's what's coming in on your television. I mean, at what point are we going to take responsibility and say, God, we, we, we've become a sinner and, and we need to repent, not only as a people, as an individual, but as a nation. And your example will lead other people. So if you're a Christian... Get your heart right, and other people will see it. They'll know there's something different about you. But if you act like the world, dress like the world, speak like the world, I see pastors getting in the pulpit with sneakers on and blue jeans with holes in them and shirts hanging out, and, and, and that's a sacred place, the pulpit. That's a place of God's honor. That's a place where God is glorified, where God speaks through the man of God at the pulpit, and the holy presence of God is there, and they go up to that pulpit and they dishonor it. But if the governor called them to dinner tonight, they put on a suit. Isn't that amazing? Yet, oh, come as you are. Yeah, come as you are if you don't know any better and you just got saved. But everybody can go to them and buy a, a, a shirt, a dress. A woman can buy a dress, you know. You can come to church dressed like uh, the world and behave like the world. God has called you out of the world. We're in the world. We're not of the world. My brethren, I love you in Christ, and I, and I would to God that you would just think about these things. Just sit down in your heart and say, am I living? Would Jesus be pleased? Would Jesus watch the things I'm watching? Would he have the things in my house that I have? If not, get rid of them, and God will bless you for it. Now, I'll say a prayer, brother, and I'll, that's the end of my Conversation. All right. Holy Father. Okay. Holy Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son and my Savior, I ask you, God, that you would bless the Christians that heard this message, that it would resonate tonight in their hearts, that they'd not be envious of other people who appear to be uh, uh, succeeding in life and have it all made. And God and, and the Christians, we know our rewards in heaven anyway. And our rewards are eternal. These people that have these things and are living in sin, they're only temporal. They're not going with them. They don't get the same things in the end. They're going to split hell wide open if they don't receive Jesus. And so, Father God, we ask you that you help us to keep that knowledge, that you'd encourage us in our hearts to just repent and be sure that we're right with you. And then, God, we ask you that you'd hear our prayers to bless this nation, to raise up men in this nation who will lead this nation in a godly way, that you'll raise up holy women that will pray for our nation, that will they'll teach their children how to be uh, godly and, and how to live for Christ and how to have a God consciousness. And, and Lord, we're, we're praying that you heal this nation, that you'll give this nation a reprieve, that you'd forgive them, Lord. Forgive this nation its sins, God. And, and, and the things that we've allowed in this nation, that you turn the hearts of the people towards you. 
and, and bring forth leadership, Lord. That's what we need, Christian leadership, men and women who fear God. And, and God, we're going to give you the praise and the honor and the glory in this, Lord. We're not going to take it. It's not for us, Lord, to take that glory. We're going to glorify you and say God has reclaimed what belonged to him in the beginning and chased the evil away. And we'll just say thank you, Father, tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Peter, thank you. And everybody, next show will be Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, same phone number. God bless the Republic. Now let's set the record straight. There's no argument over the choice between peace and war. But there's only one guaranteed way you can have peace, and you can have it in the next second. Surrender. Admittedly, there's a risk in any course we follow other than this, but every lesson of history tells us that the greater risk lies in appeasement. And this is the specter our well-meaning liberal friends refuse to face, that their policy of accommodation is appeasement. And it gives no choice between peace and war, only between fight or surrender. If we continue to accommodate, continue to back and retreat, eventually we have to face the final demand, the ultimatum. And what then? When Nikita Khrushchev has told his people, he knows what our answer will be. He has told them that we're retreating under the pressure of the Cold War, and someday, when the time comes to deliver the final ultimatum, our surrender will be voluntary, because by that time, we will have been weakened from within, spiritually, morally, and economically. He believes this because from our side he's heard voices pleading for peace at any price, or better rev than death, or as one commentator put it, he'd rather live on his knees than die on his feet. And therein lies the road to war, because those voices don't speak for the rest of us. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shockers around the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay, there is a point beyond which they must not advance. Winston Churchill said the destiny of man is not measured by material compensations. When great forces are on the move in the world, we learn we're spirits, not animals. He said there's something going on in time and space and beyond time and space, which, whether we like it or not, spells duty. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of men on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. 